Welcome back to Making Artwork, part two of our interview with Trey Devi, president of the Cincinnati Symphony and Pops Orchestra. Trey, welcome back. Thanks again, Travis. So um, I wonder if uh, you could talk a little bit about the administrative side of the business and specifically, you know, we're constantly hearing in the arts that there's a shortage of talent when it comes to fundraising. At least that's what I've been hearing. Um, and maybe you can, you know, if you've been hearing the same thing, I'm not sure. Do you find that to be the case? And what can we do in the arts to reverse that and and find individuals who are really skilled at raising money? It's a it, that's a fantastic question. I've never been I've never been asked that question before, and I think that you go to school for to train for so many different things and fundraising is not and maybe this is changing i think it is evolving particularly with nonprofit administration programs and whatnot but it, it i don't think it receives as much attention as perhaps it it deserves and maybe i'm a little old school here <laughs> because <laughs> um be, because i never uh, i never studied fundraising or anything along those lines but i I feel as though you need to immerse yourself in this discipline, in this in this art, if you will, of fundraising. To uh, to back up a little bit, when I was starting my career, and I was in a fellowship program and worked at the New York Philharmonic and Pittsburgh Symphony and Fort Worth Symphony, I kind of looked around and felt as though that artistically um, we had really great artistic leadership, but from a revenue perspective that the level of you know talent and in our field was maybe not what it needed to be and that's where i really resolved myself to enter into either the marketing or the development fundraising mm -hmm. side of side of things and um, and i think it's one of these things that over time and with experience you begin to um you know take this in and learn it and understand it uh, so to get back to your question, I I do think that it's um, uh, it's an it's an art that needs to be um, part of an organization's DNA, and if you're interested in becoming a great fundraiser, you probably should look to those organizations that um, do it well, and go there, learn, cut your teeth, uh, and uh, and then you know g go to an organization in a leadership position and be, be begin to take those practices and skills and translate them into a place that's that you're really passionate about. And so you mentioned that you never were trained, you never went to I shouldn't say you were never trained, but you didn't go to school for fundraising, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so if you can become a successful fundraiser without having gone to school to Anybody do it, can. then why can't anyone? <laughs> No, it's a, it's a serious yeah, – I'm yeah. being serious. It's it's one of those things. It, you know, if, if if you can do it, then does it need to be taught? Is it is it best done through practice? It, you know, what's the approach that, that we should take when teaching students about fundraising? I think there's a question always of whether you're born with something or you need to be born with something or if you can be trained in a certain area. Nature and, versus nurture. Yeah, exactly. And I, I remember when I was a kid um, – you know whether it was at at church or going door to door selling things that I always didn't really have that hang up with 
I'm asking people for things, particularly if they're if they're if they're important things. And mm-hmm. so if I was raising money for, you know, a church for a project or whatnot, that um, that was encouraged in in my family at least. But um, you know, you see so often, you know, at a grocery store or whatnot, with a little kid who asks somebody else for something. There's a um, there's a social norm in many cases that uh, that uh, that uh, prohibits that that you know that suppresses that idea of asking someone else for something, mm-hmm. and I think that the distinction for me is that you know when when I'm asking for support, it's it's support not for me, but it's support for something that is you know good for a community and actually support that the the philanthropists the donors want to be involved they want to make an impact and they feel good and positive about directing their resources into a good solidly run organization that will then deliver impact mm-hmm. to many many people in a community or in the world as the case may be so i i think that you know if um you know, if you can get beyond some of those personal hang-ups that some people have, then having an authentic passion for something, having the ability to, you know, really listen to and understand where uh, a donor is coming from, that those are some of the basic, you know, basic building blocks. Sure. And um, and so how do we how do we expand the pool of potential fundraisers? How do we how do we make that happen among our students today? What kinds of activities can they participate in? Because it seems to me that there, because there's a shortage of fundraisers, there's also a, a great market for fundraisers, right? And so students who, who can do it, individuals who can actually be successful in fundraising could have a very rewarding career. So how do we, how do we train them? Uh, well, I think, th- I think step one is if someone has a passion, whether it's for... Um, you know, animals or music or the visual arts or whatever it is that to to me, that's kind of the first screen Mm -hmm. you've got, you've got to be absolutely passionate about what you're doing and the value that that delivers to, to a community. And if you pass that screen and you're, you're passionate about it, and if you've got another set of skills in terms of empathy and, and listening skills and, um, attention to detail, and in my opinion, um, not having an artistic temperament is important in fundraising because you, if if you're easily offended or whatnot, that that's it's not a good space to be. Um, so you have to it, be able to take no for an answer without taking it personally. <laughs> yes, exactly, because it may be that someone isn't particularly interested in a particular project, doesn't mean that they don't have an interest in something else. Right, and. Um, you know, really listening to somebody because sometimes someone says no to you, and then you shut down. You stop listening. Mm-hmm. You're you're not uh, you're not engaged anymore. Um, but you know, to me, if somebody says no, it's an opportunity to understand a little bit more deeply. So, to, to long story short, is if you've got some of these basic characteristics, and you get your foot in the door in an orchestra or what have you, then that is the th- that's the entry point. To really see if you can ascend within the you know the fundraising um, profession, right? That makes sense. Um, when you look around the orchestra field right now, 
there are lots of challenges facing the art form, right? We hear about orchestras um, not doing as well as, as they have in the past, um, economic conditions, so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, do you see patterns emerging? It's the first question. Yep. And then can other orchestras, are there, are there takeaways that you've had in, in your previous positions and in your position in Cincinnati? Are there things that you think uh, you've learned along the way that could be shared with other orchestras to sort of um, help buoy their their uh, foundation of support. Yeah, well, I think so. If you if you if you think about patterns and in the world of orchestras, you know, orchestras at different points in time were supported by kings and queens, and they were supported by the church, and they've been supported by you know the government to a greater extent in the past and whatnot, and. And the way that orchestras are supported today is different than than it has been in the past, mm-hmm. and so it's evolving. and And as things evolve, um, uh, if you're not ahead of the game, you're behind the game, and then some financial cracks can enter in. Then uh, boards could be tempted to be undisciplined in how they're um, making sure the organization is a go- in a good place. That undiscipline can result in um, financial problems that create tensions between stakeholders, musicians, board members, management, that gets into a real, um, maybe this is too strong of a phrase, but death spiral. Mm-hmm. And so um, so I see in some cases that, you know, that, that sequence of events, there needs to be a recognition of where you are as an organization um, and a great deal of communication around how do you how do you stop you know if something is going in a in a spiral the wrong direction how do you stop that create awareness about it and um, you know put yourself in a place for long term sustainability I'm I'm convinced that philanthropic resources contributions and support exists in in communities now not. Uh, What's possible in, uh, in in New York City is different from what's possible in um, a much smaller community. So the the resources are going to be bounded, and there's there's competition for those resources. But I think vision and you know strong, prudent governance of an organization inspires support. And if uh, uh, if, if we can continue to sort of push on those dimensions, that uh, you know, we'll we'll be in a good place. Uh, and and at some points in time, and I use Cincinnati as an example. In two thousand nine, when we had to um, when we had to make a serious course correction quickly, um, sometimes you have to delay gratification. Sometimes, and um, you know, live to fight another day. We were in that place, um, and. Some organizations, because of this this path, are in that place right now, and um, I think that the starting place to solve that is good, honest, thoughtful, um, composed conversations with all the stakeholders. And it seems like something that you value along the way is um, is sort of a lack of entitlement. You mentioned that earlier for for organizations to not feel like. They're entitled to a certain level of funding, but to really get out there, pound the pavement, and and really uh, demonstrate that they're a community asset. Yeah, without a doubt, 
Without a doubt. I, we've Orchestras have existed for hundreds of years, and the way that they've been supported, as I mentioned, is, has changed. Um, but we, uh, even though, and I'm, I'm so biased about this because I feel like with all of the, you know, ugliness that exists in our world, that orchestras are a place of beauty, a place of inspiration, that they can lift people up in a, in a way that few things, few things can. And Mm -hmm. so they're so, so important, but sometimes you can take this passion and, and disconnect from a com- from a community, you can feel this is so important that everybody needs to understand how important it is, and of course we're worthy of support. But for most people that are more casually connected to a particular entity, it requires a conversation, and they may view it from a different point of view. And for always kind of looking at it from their perspective, will be much much better off. Absolutely, putting yourself in their shoes, the empathy that you mentioned earlier. Sure. So. Trey, thanks again for being here. It's been great talking to you. We've gotten through a lot here, and I feel like we could talk for days. But you have to stop somewhere, so thanks for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Making Art Work is produced by the Arts Administration Program at LeMoyne College in Syracuse, New York, with support provided by the Department of Communication and Film Studies and WLMU Radio. Our theme song was written by LeMoyne College music faculty member Edward Rahowski and performed by the Bang on a Can All-Stars. For more information about arts administration at LeMoyne, visit lemoyne.edu slash artsadmin or follow us on Twitter at LMCArtsADMN. I'm your host, Travis Newton, hoping you'll join us again next time on Making Art Work.